And Ron, thank you for, for the invitation. Uh, Ron and I ran into each other, we've run into each other frequently. And uh, last week we were at some event together. And he says, looking forward to seeing you next week. Well, I suddenly had this cold chills shiver over because I couldn't remember what I was, I can't remember what I'm doing tomorrow. And uh, Ron said, looking forward to hearing you next week. And I had this cold chill that maybe I had forgotten something. I checked my calendar and I said, sure enough, I'm supposed to be here tonight. And uh, Ron, I appreciate you reminding me of that. But uh, anytime, anytime I have the opportunity to really sit down and uh, break bread with people of faith who are involved in prison ministry, or just have an interest in prison ministry, or just pray for prison ministry, then I, I certainly welcome that opportunity. Now, I told Ron as we were preparing to, to have dinner that I have a tendency to ramble sometimes, and when I really, really feel passionate about a subject, that I can go on for a long time. So that said, I, I think I'm typically supposed to speak for about 15 minutes, but I've been known to speak for 30 and 45 minutes on subjects like this. So I, I've told Ron, and I'm going to tell all of you, after about 15 or 20 minutes, start pulling your earlobe, and that'll be my key that I need to kind of wrap things up. But uh, seriously, I, I can keep you here all night if you want to. Now, if you don't pull your earlobe, we just might stay here all night. But uh, that said, that said, uh, I do appreciate this opportunity. As Ron mentioned, um, I, I've had a, I had a very interesting career. I've, I've been a school teacher. I've been in the military. Uh, I've worked in local corrections. I worked at the federal prison uh, level for many years. Sheriff, running a jail, uh, have, have worked in the criminal justice field really for most of my adult life. Some people would say in our school system today, that's kind of a criminal justice field as well, but I won't go quite that far, but certainly there, there's a lot of parallels between the challenges of, of running a school and, uh, and working in a correctional facility. Uh, and that's, I say that uh, really with all due respect, but schools are tough. Schools are tough. Teach, teaching is tough. There are any school teachers here in the crowd, uh, God bless you. I think there's a, a place, a special place in heaven for those of you who are, who are working in our school system. But most of my adult career has been in the field of corrections. And when I was sheriff, obviously, running my campaigns, I, uh, I would say that obviously law enforcement is a priority, uh, the criminal justice system a priority, uh, jails and corrections a priority. When I became mayor, I was establishing my agenda for the first term, and I also had as one of my priorities the criminal justice system. And one of my friends came up to me and says, now Mark, when you were sheriff, we, we understood that one of your priorities had to be corrections in the criminal justice system and public safety, but now you've, you've kind of stepped into another role, and you need to start addressing some of those other issues that, that, uh, that are really pertinent in our society. I said, folks, there's nothing that's more germane and more pertinent to the safe conduct of society than public safety. Because one of the things that I've observed in my line of work over the years is that if you're going to really fight crime in public safety, you've got to have a good education system. 
If you don't have a good education system, then all you're doing is growing another generation of criminal behavior. If you're going to fight unemployment, if you're going to fight unemployment, you've got to address the issues of crime because it's unemployment that in large part drives the problems of crime. If you truly, truly want to address the issues of economic development, growing your community economically, you've got to address the issues that we face in the criminal justice system. It all kind of fits together. One of the things that became very apparent to me when, uh, when I had worked in the criminal justice system for a number of years is really if we only are focusing on arresting bad guys and bad gals and throwing them in jail, <clears throat> all we're doing is reaping the harvest because we're really not getting to the true causal effects of why people are in prison. Now, people must be held accountable. If you commit a crime, you must face up to the fact that you've committed a crime. You must face the justice system. But by the same token, if we stop there, then we've only addressed half of the problem. In my many years of working in correctional environments, and I look at the people that matriculate through our criminal justice system, what is it that I see? I see people that come from very dysfunctional homes. I see people who have dropped out of the education system. They, they, they probably quit learning about the fifth or sixth grade, stayed in school to the seventh, eighth, or ninth grade, and then just completely dropped out. So they have a very low education achievement level. They come from not only dysfunctional families, but they come from very violent backgrounds. They come from, from backgrounds where they were abused, both emotionally and physically, in so many ways. You see a very short span of faith-based involvement. They didn't grow up in a faith environment like I did and like most of you did. And if you look at all of those ingredients, you can see where criminal behavior comes from. It comes from those people who, first of all, have no faith foundation, they have no family foundation, they have no educational foundation. Failures in our system. So that's why, even in the mayor's office that I'm in now, public safety in the criminal justice system is still a priority. Still a priority. My first encounter with prison volunteers was a result of my father's work in the criminal justice system as well. Um, my father, late in his adult life, um, had an opportunity to really have a life-changing experience. He had been a businessman most of his life, primarily in the field of agriculture, and he had an opportunity when I was in high school to come to Shelby County and to run the Shelby County Penal Farm, what we, what we then called the Penal Farm. We call it now the Shelby County Corrections Center. My father was my most influential person in my life. And I can remember when he made that change in his life at the age of about 50, working, making a transition from business to working in a prison, that I started to see a transformation in his approach to people. In many of the 
things that I learned in observing my father over the years that he worked in prisons are values and principles that I carry with me today. And the one core principle that I remember my father always talking about, let me start off by saying my father was a very strong Christian layman, uh, one who was always involved in our church, very much engaged. He brought that same faith commitment to his work in prisons. My father was a gentleman, yet he was a very tough man. I never for a moment doubted his love of me while he disciplined me. I was very fortunate in that regard. But I remember one principle that my father abided by that I've always believed in. He says you can have all the education programs that our school systems provide. You can have all the anger management programs that the therapist can devise. You can have all of the drug and alcohol treatment programs that our society has to offer. But until you can change the heart, nothing will work. It starts with the heart. You change the heart. Recently, I was appointed to a, a, a commission at the state level that was looking at some of the conditions in our correctional facilities and how we can impact recidivism in Tennessee. And one of the things that we, in, after a long day of discussion, decided was that it takes more to rehabilitate an offender who's been in prison than giving them a job, giving them a shelter, and giving them a meal. Important things, but there's more to it than that because if you don't in some way try to impact the behavior of the people, then the housing, the jobs, the good food on the table are very temporary and very limited. When I, when I heard that discussion and I participated in that discussion, I reflected back on my father's comments because that's precisely what he was saying. Until you can change the inside, the behavior, then those other programs are of little value. Those other programs are important. You must have them, but you must have a good start to begin with. I have two people in the audience tonight here that, that I rely on very heavily for the success that we have in working with offenders. First of all is Bill Gupton, who many of you heard today. Bill Gupton is our Director of Correctional Services for Shelby County. I had the opportunity, I had the opportunity after a very fine man, Jim Coleman, resigned about two years ago, I had the opportunity to go out and look for someone who was equally as efficient as Jim Coleman, and I found Bill Gupton. One of the things that attracted me about Bill Gupton was his commitment to some of those same principles that I've talked about here. And we are still continuing to move forward progressively as we build programs that not only, not only address the behavioral needs, but also help build that foundation that'll be necessary for success on the outside. A component of that is our reentry program, and Phyllis Fickling, who's sitting over here with the bum arm, 
you can see this brace on her arm. It's the scariest looking thing I've ever seen on a hurt arm. But uh, Phyllis Fickling heads up our reentry program. And the reentry program focuses on many of the things that we've just talked about here, many of the things that you have talked about over the last two or three days. And I think you've had several sessions on reentry. How important it is in reentry that we teach job skills, that, that we prepare people for the workforce. But also, equally as important, is how do we, how do we stimulate those behavioral changes that must take place? You know, we will never have, we will never have in government, regardless of what the function of government is, we will never have enough resources in government to do everything that needs to be done to impact the challenges that we have as a society. And the only way, the only way that, that government can truly, truly be effective for the long term is through the engagement of volunteers, is the engagement of a faith community through the various churches and faith communities that we have throughout our, our cities and our state, how important it is that people of faith get engaged. Because you all are the heart specialist. You all are the ones that are going to make that difference first in the lives of these men and women that we're charged with rehabilitating. And how vitally important it is you all bring something to the table that Bill Gupton and Phyllis Fickling and I can never do. And that is you're bringing to the table something that inmates recognize immediately. And that is that you don't have to be there. Bill Gupton and Phyllis and I are paid to run our correctional facilities. We're paid to keep our society safe. We're paid to keep people locked up. But you all are not paid. You all come in because you love the Lord and you love the Lord's people. People notice that. I've often been asked, what, what are the talents that you're looking for in a correctional facility? What, what, what can I do as a volunteer? And I say, anything you want to do. I tell this story about a lady that I knew early in my career working in corrections. If you were to ask her what she, her talent was, she'd probably just say, nothing. But I tell you, her talent was one of the most valuable talents and one that everybody in this audience has. She would seek out people in the prison who did not receive letters, who did not have visitors, and she'd sit down and just listen to them. She'd just listen to them. I can remember seeing her in the visiting room where she's sitting there. She's not exercising any therapeutic theory. She's sitting there just listening to people talk that haven't had anyone to talk to or anyone to listen to them, to, to praise them, to acknowledge them. And she would just sit there and listen. Whatever your talent is, there's a place for that talent in our correctional facilities. You know, one of my favorite stories of the Bible and it's really, it's repeated in several books of the Bible, but it speaks to spiritual gifts. You'll see it in Romans, you'll see it in 2 Corinthians, you'll see it in various places where Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And he has a listing of spiritual gifts. I've never really looked at the spiritual gifts listed in the various scriptures of the New Testament and thought that that was an all-inclusive list. 
Because I think everybody in here has a spiritual gift. And there's a crying need for that spiritual gift in our correctional facilities. We need it. We need it. You make a difference. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Don't ever ask yourself that at the end of a day where you have been visiting and working in the correctional facility. Because I tell you, really, you are an instrument of a higher being. Someone's working through you. And whether or not that message is received, whether or not the instruction is adhered to, whether or not good is done as a result of your engagement, you may never know. You may never know. The best that you can do is after you have committed your time and your energy serving as a volunteer, serving in a prison ministry capacity, that you go home at night and on your knees thank God for the opportunities that you've had. Knowing that it's actually between that person and the Lord as to what impact you had. I remember early in my life as a, as a young deacon, we were at a deacon's meeting one night, and there was a great discussion that was going on about the homeless people that co-walk into the church and are seeking assistance. And you all have all experienced that in your churches. There have been times when people would pull up to your church and they'll walk into the church office and say, hey, I'm broke. I need some place to stay tonight. Many of your churches will have some money available and you'll hand it out. You'll say a prayer for them and send their own way. I raised the question in that deacon's meeting. I said, well, isn't that pretty irresponsible? Why are we holding them more accountable? One of the old senior deacons said, Mark, that's not your concern. That's between them and the Lord as to how they use the blessings that they receive. Another one of those comments, one of those, one of those pearls of wisdom that I take with me is, do you make a difference? Of course you make a difference. Of course you make a difference. But don't let that be the driving factor in your engagement in prison ministry. Because you are just a vessel. You're just an instrument. The Lord working through you to achieve the greater good. How vitally important it is. I'll leave you with this one last suggestion that I would encourage you all to consider. One of the correctional facilities that I headed back a few years ago, uh, we had a number of prison ministry volunteers that were coming in from a variety of different churches. Each church wanting to conduct Bible studies, and goodness knows we need Bible studies. But I asked one church one time to consider doing something a little different. I said, instead of coming in and teaching a Bible study, come in and teach through lay men and lay women some of the lifestyle challenges that we have. Come in, come in and, and over a period of weeks, talk about how you survive in the world today 
progressively and contributing. Come in and talk about how men should treat women, how women should respect men. Talk about the importance of balancing your checkbook. Talk about the importance of a parent's relationship with children. Talk about the importance of engagement in the community. Talk about the importance of respecting one another. Talk about the importance of the fellowship of believers. Talk about the importance of relationships. Talk about those tools that get us through the day successfully. And teach it from a Christian layman's point of view. You know, there's some people in our prison populations that if they hear it's a church service, they'll never dawn the door. But I've often, often witnessed the power of example, the ministry of example, and how powerful that can be. Some of our inmates would come to those lifestyle sessions where you're talking about how men and women interact, how they respect one another, how to love your children, how to discipline your children, how to put structure in the lives of your children so that they don't follow that path that could lead to prison. How vitally important it is for our people in prison to hear that from Christian lay men and women who can speak from experience. It's a wonderful opportunity for you. I'll close by saying you're appreciated. Very humbly stated, you're appreciated. You all have a spiritual gift. Events like tonight give us the opportunity to really celebrate, to fellowship, and to, to really reflect upon what has transpired this week. But if you leave here tonight, and that's all that's been accomplished, then there's so much more to do. Because you should take something with you when you leave here. You should take a resolve. You should take some insight into what will be the next step that you as a Christian can take to move forward, and specifically in the area of prison ministry. What can you do to go back to your faith community and talk about how others can get engaged? What can you do through your faith community to encourage people prayerfully to consider their spiritual gifts and how those spiritual gifts can be applied to prison ministry? You know, some 60%, and some will say higher, of the people that are in our jails and prisons today have been there before, and many of them will be there again. How vitally important what you do is to the welfare of our nation and our community. God bless you for being a part of this program this week. Leave here today with a conviction, with a resolve, and with a commitment that you'll go back into your faith community and not only consider what you can do in the field of prison ministry, but how you can engage other citizens just like yourself to also move into prison ministry programs. Our reentry programs, the work that, that, that Hope Works does, part of reentry, getting people reacclimated. 
You can work in our prisons, you can work in Hope Works, you can work through our reentry programs, you can work through so many community-based programs that will also be considered valuable parts of prison ministry. Find where you can serve best and take someone with you. Thank you for the opportunity. God bless you for what you're doing. For those of you who've traveled far, please travel safely as you return home. Know that we appreciate you here in Memphis and Shelby County. Thank you, Ron.